Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet. This Resurrection Sunday, we'll be coming out of Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. On three, read together. On three. One, two, three, go. Amen, amen. And this time in our gathering on this Resurrection Sunday, I would like to talk about Jesus changes everything. Everything. Y'all ready for the word of God today? Y'all ready for the word of God today? Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, I don't know if you know or not, but Jesus changes everything. They're not feeling you. Look at the person on the other side of you. Say, neighbor, there's a word on the street, and I want to tell you about it. The reality of the fact is, is, Jesus Jesus changes changes everything. everything. Now, one last time, look up to heaven and say, Jesus, Jesus, thank you you that in my life, life, you changed everything. everything. Give a shout of praise to God today. Hallelujah. Father, we're honored to celebrate you. And we're honored. It's an honor. It's an honor. No one should have to drum up praise for you in us. We should think about your goodness, and it should automatically lock us in to a disposition of gratitude and thanksgiving, Lord. And God, I'm praying in the mighty name of Jesus that you would stir us up based on the resurrection and love you more, walk with you more, and live a life that is reflected and empowered by what you did on the cross and what you did by getting up from the grave. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? You may be seated. You may be seated. Jesus uh, changes everything. I love that reality because that's something that I am becoming more progressively aware of. Uh, The reason why I'm becoming more progressively aware of that reality is because I have a disposition sometimes of pessimism versus optimism. And when you have a pessimistic disposition, you tend to see the micro-negative in the macro-positive. In, 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 in other words, you can see something great go on, but see one little thing that takes the redemption out of all the good that you saw. And so what has to happen every now and then, when you're like that, even when you see stuff in other people's life where they make mistakes and they have, and it's almost like focusing in on the negative of their trajectory and journey and forgetting about the fact that one day the spotlight may be on you. And when that spotlight may be on you, you may need someone to think well of you. But the only way I can think well of anything is not by thinking of me. Because if I think of me, I don't necessarily automatically uh, 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 think well of something or anything that's going on in my life. So I need something or someone to help me to have a different disposition towards everything. And that's why when I recognize and I realize and I get to embrace and we get to embrace the reality that Jesus changes everything, it makes your commitment to life totally different. 
When you know that you're fighting from victory and not for victory, it gives you a different disposition. In other words, in the Christian life, you're not trying to make anything happen. You're just walking in what Christ calls to make everything happen in your life. So the beauty of that reality leads us to the fact that the New Testament wasn't the beginning of talking about the resurrection. As a matter of fact, Jesus based the entirety of his passion narrative off Tanakh or the Old Testament. Uh, many would think that uh, 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 we, we, would, we would focus and think that the idea of him dying on the cross and getting up from the grave was a new thing. I was listening to some Jewish folk on YouTube. <coughs> And they were talking about the fact that they had grown up in a Jewish environment and experienced all that, but never really got into the prophets or the word of God. And, and one guy said, man, I looked at Isaiah 53. And when I looked at Isaiah 53, he said, what in the world is Jesus doing in my Bible? He said, that's that New Testament stuff. For the New Testament, Christian people, who the Gentiles, who have that heretical thing called the New Testament. He said, but I could not shake the fact that there was a clear prophecy about substitutionary atonement in Isaiah chapter 53. And I'm pretty sure if he turned over here to this passage, he would recognize that the resurrection doesn't happen on its own. This passage is about that we're in, <clears throat> about the resurrection and redemption of all things, but also the judgment of unredeemed things. And so what happens is, is that in order for that to take place, there had to be a chain reaction. Somebody say chain reaction. The reason why Adam is called the first Adam because he called the chain reaction in all creation. That chain reaction caused everything to be fallen and messed up, toe up from the flow up. <laughs> so where we are is based on his decision to not follow the Lord or the Lord, the, uh, the, the living God. But the second Adam or the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, sets a second chain reaction. He sets and reverses the polarity of the mess that Adam caused to happen in order to bring the universe into a comprehensive conclusion under the comprehensive rule of God in all creation. So we come to this beautiful passage that I believe is in, it is, comes during a difficult time in Israel's history. It comes during a time where they're under captivity. Somebody say captivity. And, and in other words, they're in a situation. When you go into captivity, you're in something that you put yourself in. In other words, it's your fault why you're in the mess you're in. But know what I like about God in this passage is even though God is spanking his children through captivity, what's beautiful is he gives them hope in the midst of the, the spank. You ever got a spanking and just didn't feel no hope? <laughs> I, I mean, I remember, see, y'all don't know nothing about this. My dad is 90, about to be 94. He was raised by first-generation free slaves. So the beatings that I got from him were legendary. It was known in my inner-city neighborhood about my father. I mean, I would, I would get beats, and my dad noticed, and I tease him about this now. I didn't think I was going to live literally through the whipping. And it seemed like them, just like some people get three pats and all of that. Some of y'all got pity pat and all of that. You understand what I'm saying? I got like them, see, I got talked through due to whooping. See, I don't know if you ever got talked through. When you got whooped, you get hit, you get hit, and then they talk to you, and, and, and you know, and then think about it again, and then hit you again. You know what I'm saying? Didn't I tell? And I just can't believe that you embarrassed our name in the neighborhood. And then, um, and then they just go on and on and on. And I'm just like, God, save me. God help. God help. And you know, you know you got that, you know you're getting beat back when you can't cry no more. You just go, you know, that, that joint right there, you know. You just know you're getting beat back. But during those beatings, I said, Dad, you ain't giving me no hope. 
He said, your hope was that I wouldn't kill you in the process, right? But what's beautiful about getting a spanking from God is God spanks you while giving you hope. And in this passage, Israel is experiencing the love of God through saying, I won't let what you did to yourself have the last word in your life. Oh, my God. Y'all don't know when to shout. I'm so glad about that reality, which we, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and move on. Uh, I'm going to get into my first point, I'm, I, and I'll be out of here. First point, one point only. When you talk about the idea that Jesus changes everything, number one, got to recognize the hope of the resurrection is a sure hope. The hope of the resurrection is a sure hope. Look at what the text says here today. It says, at that time. At the time that he's talking about, Daniel has done something interesting. Is Daniel prophesies, it, it's amazing to me the beauty of biblical prophecy, and this is for free. It is impossible for somebody to like make the Bible up. Like when you look at the timing of when Daniel prophesied these things and he communicated these things, it's just beautiful to see that there is historical and archaeological alignment with his existence during the time of Nebuchadnezzar. And not only that, he prophesied about, about the time that he was in. He prophesied about the time that they were in, in, in Babylon, the time of being purged. He even prophesied the fact that Greece was going to take over the known world at that particular time, which we see. And he prophesied emphatically towards Rome. But then he ultimately prophesied about the consummation of all things. Somebody say consummation. We, we, we believe in, in, in four ideologies that sum up the redemptive historical ideologies of the Bible. We believe in creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. Creation, God created everything without a mess. Fall, man made a mess. Redemption, Jesus comes to clean up the mess. And then uh, consummation, God gets rid of all the mess. And, 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 so, and so as we come to this passage, as we come to this passage, we begin to see the beauty of when God cleans up all the mess. And we see something beautiful in this passage. This is, Mar this is Michael, the great prince, uh, who stands watch over your people. Stop right there. That means that God has assigned an angel to Israel. But now that we've been grafted into Israel as, uh, as one people of God, now the archangel Michael is a defender of the people of God. I like the fact that the enemy can't do anything he wants to me because God assigned someone to oversee my life. How many of you know that God, God has, even though the enemy has assignments, God has counter assignments. And Michael, the archangel, is one of God's counter assignments. I mean, this is a fighting dude. God, he didn't, like, put a sucker to watch over us. You understand what I'm saying? This dude got, like, a sword. He can, like, fight demons by himself, just one cat. You understand what I'm saying? Even though God don't even have to have angels to fight, he can just say, get out of here, and they can just run. But just to do things just how he wants to do, he said, man, I ain't going to get my hand. I mean, mm, go ahead, Michael. Go ahead, plat out him real quick, and I'll be up here just watching. In other words, I'd like to see me a nice match or something. You understand what I'm saying? So Michael, the great prince, he said, who stands watch over your people, he said, we'll rise up. God has assigned Michael <clears throat> as the one to signal when something in particular will happen futuristically. Look at what the text says. It says, there will be a time of distress. Now, 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 now you got to understand, time lets me know something beautiful. Emphatically, <clears throat> time points to the fact that there's a beginning and an end to difficulty. Oh, okay, see, you, 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 you missed that. You ever been in something? that was so hard, you didn't know when it was going to be over. 
okay, I'm by myself. I don't know about you, but I've been through some stuff that was contextually and chronologically frustrating. But in light of God's mercy, I like the fact, I don't like the fact that God allows difficulty to happen to us. I don't really like that. But know what I do like? That he promises that trouble won't last always. That's the part I like. And so here, though, this is not your normal life trouble. This is not your little trials we go through, these light and momentary affliction, John, that we go through nowadays. That's, that's not what's happening here. He said it will be a time of distress. That means difficulty on steroids. And, and so there will be a progressive, this let us know something, that God hasn't let earth get bad as it could get. Okay, y- y'all missed that. In other words, right now, you think things are bad. Things right now ain't really bad. They're they're just difficulties. When you look at the fact that God sovereignly restrains, the Thessalonians says, Paul says Thessalonians, there is one who restrains. What does he restrain? He restrains two things. He restrains demonic forces and the depths of our depravity being fully unleashed on earth. Let me tell you something. There's some bad stuff that happened to you and happened on this planet, but that's the restrained version. If God wouldn't have held some stuff back in your life, you thought your life was messed up, but it would have been totally annihilated and destroyed. But there is coming a time when God, listen, even the way God releases evil fully is gracious. He does it in three ways. He does it by the breaking of the seals, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments. During a seven-year period, I don't know when it is. I know there are people that got charts, and they got all types of things, and they can look in the original language and and lay out things. And I I think that we don't know when that's going to happen. But all I know is when hell breaks loose on planet Earth, it will be very clear to us. Whether the church will be here or not, I don't know. All I know is that Jesus is coming back, but before he comes back, it's going to get progressively worse. And so I don't have to go into all kinds of details. Oh, it started raining in Yugoslavia. Man, did you see over in Rev- See, all of that, like, crazy stuff, count three letters over to the left and four over to the right, and then go down ten, and then that's how you get a word. I don't know about that. <laughs> all I know is things are going to be so difficult that all scruples will be thrown off of humanity. But look what it says. It says, it says, it says further, it says, and it occurred, it says, uh, the, the time of distress such as never has occurred since the nations came into being. It's interesting is Jesus even says in, Revel- in, in Matthew 24, he says the only reason everybody didn't die is because God had to cut the time short. Because man got so crazy that if God didn't cut the time short, we'd have destroyed everything. I mean, it would have been like the, the show The 100 or Mad Max in the Thunderdome type stuff. Y'all don't even know what I'm talking about right there. But I'm talking about the end time, end world stuff, right? This destructive. But God ends it. But then he says what happens next, which is such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing here. It says, but at that time, all your people who were found written in the book will escape. I like that. Now, this is good news for us. This book, it, it, there is a book in heaven, and then there are books. Now, 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 Revelation 20 lets us know that there are a bunch of books, but from Exodus uh, uh, all the way down through Daniel and other books, we know something called a book, and there's one book called the book of life. Now, that book should be a book that should make you happy. 
Because the book of life is only for those who trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So when you come to faith in Christ, your name is written in the book of life. But let me explain something to you, what happens before that. When you are conceived in your mother's womb, a book appears before God. And someone begins writing out your story. And guess what that story is made up of? Mess. It's made up of the stuff you, you did, the stuff you're doing, and the stuff you're going to do. As a matter of fact, it's made up of the stuff that you thought of doing but you didn't really do. It's even made up of the stuff that points to the fact that you had good works that you did, but under those good works were bad motives, so it cancels out the good works, so the book even carries your motives in it. In other words, every individual has a book that lays out your life of brokenness. You have a biography, an autobiography of yourself written in heaven right now that one day will be revealed. But when you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, your name is written in the book of life. Now, the book that was before that was the book that was about you. But the book of life ain't about you. The book of life is about the Lord Jesus Christ. So what happens is, is when you trust Jesus, the book that was about your narrative and your story is disintegrated because God, through Christ, has thrown your sins as far as the east is from the west. Y'all don't know when to shout. It's okay. <laughs> so the beauty of this passage is twofold. It's once everything's consummated because of Christ's death, this chain reaction is going to cause several things. The resurrection of unredeemed lost people, the resurrection of redeemed people, the destruction of all creation, and the recreation of the heavens and earth. Now look what the passage says. All of this is very important. It says, many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to eternal life and some to disgrace. And it says, and, to, and, and eternal contempt. So the people that, let's start with the people, we're going to leave on a hopeful note. The people who are in disgrace and raised to eternal contempt are those who are in what's called hell or Hades right now. Now you've got to understand, hell is not the final resting place of those that don't know Jesus Christ as Savior. We'll explain that in a second. Uh, um, a lot of people say, you're going to spend eternity in hell. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. You, uh, 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 what, what happens is, is hell is just a holding cell. In other words, you're in a dark place, a, a gnashing of teeth, and away from God's love, God's mercy, God's grace, and all that is good in relation to God. And all you experience is a micro form of his wrath. But just imagine, while you're down there in torment, God makes everything that your body decomposed to and fertilized over the years, give itself up, reconstitutes your body puts you back in your body, you're like, oh, God, thank you for putting me out of torment. And then next thing you know, he's standing in front of you, and you're like, okay, this is worse than I thought. And then what will happen is that God will open up your book if you don't know him. And what he will begin to do based on Revelation chapter 20 is walk you through why you're getting eternally spanked. What I love about God is God never judges anybody without clearly giving them a fair case. Now, some of them say God's not fair. Well, if you're a believer or anybody, you don't, if, if God was fair, do you know what he would do to us right now? You don't want God to be fair, but people will get fairness to them. He will judge them based on several things. Number one, not trusting Jesus Christ as Savior. Number two, not keeping his laws. 
And number three, God is going to take what you said was your view of value system, put it up against your lifestyle and show you that you couldn't even keep your own rules. That, that, that's in Romans chapter 2. God's going to show you, you couldn't even keep your own stuff. You're putting all kinds of stuff on other people. You, you don't believe in cheating. You don't believe in this. But God's going to say, you couldn't even perfectly keep the little things that you laid out as rubrics for your own life. And what he's going to do is he's not going to judge you based on that. He's going to judge you based on your lack of commitment to trusting Jesus Christ as Savior and let you know that it's over. And now he's going to throw death and Hades in the lake of fire. And now he throws hell in the lake of fire. And guess what? You too. When you don't know Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity paying for your sin. The Bible calls it unquenchable fire. In other words, it's not pain you can ever get used to. You, there will be no morphine in hell. You will have to pay for your sins. But for those, though, that know Jesus Christ, it's a whole different thing. Because those who are on earth during the difficult times, what will happen is the people that are in heaven will disappear from heaven, reappear with their brand spanking new bodies on with Jesus up in the clouds as he gallops on his horse back to earth. You, you miss, you, see, you don't know when to shout. Then those who are on earth going through torment will be chilling. They'll be walking to the coffee shop or something. Then all of a sudden, and then all of a sudden, they'll go up in the air, and in a second, a brand spanking new body will be on them. And they'll be like, wow, what in the world just happened? And then all of a sudden, we will all come down to earth together. And guess what? Once judgment happens, the Bible says, the Bible says that there will be a new heavens and new earth. How will that happen? The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3 that the heavens and the earth will burn with intense heat. Where does that heat come from? When God opens up the top off the lake of fire, it will burn creation because everything that's unredeemed has to be punished by God's wrath. Even creation. That's why creation groans in pain because it doesn't have a soul and it groans to be recreated because of the revelation of the sons of God. And once we're revealed, everything peels back like a cloud and it rolls back like a scroll and then all of a sudden there will be a new heavens and new earth. But the funny part about this is the Bible says, blessed are those who are part of the first resurrection because the second death has no power over them. What's the second death? When God's wrath from the lake of fire spills up to everything in the universe, guess what? We will be burned but not burned. Oh, you missed that. <laughs> in other words, your new body and your new robe will not be singed. There was a trailer of that in this same book. In this same book, Daniel, Hananiah, Meshach, and Azariah, a.k.a. Shadrach, Meshach, and a bad Negro was standing was standing up in the fiery furnace. <coughs> and, and all of a sudden it says, so I, I thought I said three dudes up in there. He said, but I see four. And one of them looked like a son of God. In other words, when Jesus is in the fire with you, there's nothing that can hurt you. He said, oh, come on out, y'all. Come on out of the fire. And when they came out of the fire, he said, you don't even smell like what you've been through. You don't even look like what you've been through. And I guess they said it was that dude that was in there with us 
He kept us from everything. Well, when all the fire of heaven goes off because of God's wrath, we will not be singed one bit. And then we will get to experience eternity with God forever. <laughs> Let me encourage you as I close. Let me encourage you as I close. I, um, I've tried to, my family laughs at me when I think I am a handyman around the house. Because um, they know I'm good at not much, but maybe changing oil, painting, washing dishes, or something like that. But every now and then, I just feel like I can do it. You understand what I'm saying? I can drywall, you understand what I'm saying? I can fix the TV, I can fix the AC unit. Every now and then, I get that in my mind. As soon as I get like that, my wife's like, oh, Lord, help him eating the baby. He's like, no, Daddy, no, no, <laughs> Daddy, no. <laughs> And I'll go in and tear something up. Then I'll sneak and call a handyman. And I'll call, call a contract. I say, hey, man, come in, look at my stuff. He said, man, what in the world happened here? He said, yeah, man, I don't know. This dude came in and started messing with my stuff. I ain't even pay him for what he did, man. He was tripping, right? And he fixes everything up because of his master skill, and he's a specialist at fixing what I called him into my house to fix. In other words, the things in my life that I tried to fix in my own house, I made worse. But I had to call somebody that was a specialist. And this specialist was way better at fixing what was already broke that I made worse. In other words, the Bible says, he that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Some of you need to stop trying to fix your own life and call in the eternal contractor. And guess what? He specializes in fixing lives. So therefore, why don't we stop trying to fix our own life and call the eternal contractor that's able to fix us from every single thing in our life and ultimately will make all things new. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're here today.